morning. Good evening, everybody. Amen. We welcome everyone tonight to Wednesday evening Bible study. So glad to have everyone that is here. Make the sacrifice to be here. Our online congregation, we welcome you tonight. Amen. I do pray and hope that the Lord's been good to us. I, I say that loosely because um, we, we oftentimes take things for granted. And we don't realize what we have until we lose it. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase before. Th- things happen in our lives sometimes, and um, you know we wonder why, why Lord, why me, why, why me? It could, why didn't it be so and so? But you know, um, they said they're not going to give you more than you can bear. That's what the word says. Amen. And um, we're here this evening to, you know, let the Lord know how much we appreciate Him. How much we thankful, you know, we see what's going on in the world today. Our world is in a disarray, a mess. You know, from from the White House all the way through. Everything is just chaotic. And, you know, we just want to make sure we keep our minds centered on the Lord. Because if we don't keep our minds centered on the Lord, we're going to be so carried away, distracted, get caught up with everything that's going on in this world. You know, the crisis that is happening in Israel right now, things are a mess. You know, it's just, it's just a total chaos and a mess. You know, and, you know, sometimes you look to the left, you look to the right, and you're like, you know, you just don't know where to look to. And this is how important it is that we keep our eyes on the mark and look to Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that can keep us and protect us and help us to be, you know, uh, successful in everything that we're doing. Amen. So we welcome everyone tonight. So glad to have everyone here in the house of God tonight. Um, just a couple of quick reminders before we get into prayer tonight. Don't forget this week, very busy week this week. We have our All Nation Sunday this uh, Sunday coming up. Um, I have some flyers here, Brother Tom. If you can help me with this, I have about 20 or so flyers. If one person can take one or you can hand it out to one person, um, we only have a limited amount. So if you can invite someone to church on Sunday, someone that does not look like us. But that's all right. If they look like us, that's all right too. But the goal is to reach everybody. Don't leave nobody out. I was at a customer today. Um, so after I was talking to the customer, I said, listen, I'd love to invite you and your entire family out to church on Sunday. She said, my son's not going to get up to come to church. I said, you never, never can tell. You know, but we have to make sure we ask. If we ask, we may get an answer. I was talking to another Ecuador family down in Bordentown, and I said, listen, if I have to come and get you Sunday, I'm going to come and get you and your family to bring you to church. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a business that we do have, you know, a due obligation to be witness unto the Lord. You know, time is limited, friends, and, you know, we don't have a lot of time left. You know, Christ's appearance can be at any moment, and we just want to make sure we are ready. Because if we're not ready, we're going to get left behind. Amen. I want to be ready. And I'm sure if I take a census tonight, everybody want to be ready to meet in the rapture. Amen. We're going to invite you to stand with us. Don't forget, if you have not yet signed up um, for whatever dish that you're going to be bringing, we're going to have a padlock right after service. See either Sister Wyatt or Sister Kitty. She's not here yet. But um, if you have not yet signed up, please see one of them before um, to bring something. We're going to have a good time in the Lord. So we want you to come and make sure you're a part of that. Invite someone to church on Sunday. We're going to have a great time in the Lord. Amen. 
anyone with a prayer request tonight amen a few hands are going up look around see the hands that are going up we're going to pray tonight and ask the lord to touch every person that raised their hands tonight and that the lord will have his way in our bible study tonight amen let's bow ahead father god we thank you for giving us this privilege to be in your presence one more time truly you're the god oh elect the god that cares oh god the one that died for us so that we can have life and have it more abundantly father god we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your mercies we thank you for your love we thank you for being so good to us oh god nothing good that we have done lord god but because of your love because of your mercy lord god you die so that we can have life and have it more abundantly father god as we gather together in this fashion to worship you and to praise you oh god to let you know how much we appreciate you lord god for all the things that you have done for us things so undeserved oh god father god we thank you for bringing us together one more time in this fashion lord god to worship you father god we ask you will to be done in the service tonight lord god we ask you anointed upon every aspect of the service tonight lord god actually to touch the man of God tonight we actually anointing to be upon him from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet Lord God use him like never before oh God as they teach the word of God tonight Lord God touch every person that raised their hands tonight Lord God you know what their needs are oh God if it's spiritual physical emotionally or financial we're serving a God as labor to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we ask or think Father God we pray for our online congregation tonight Lord God we ask the Lord God to move among us individually and collectively touch our hearts oh God touch our minds oh God help us to be ready that when the trumpet sounds we will be ready to make heaven our home Father God we ask you to touch our praise singers tonight those that are traveling oh God we ask you Lord God to touch them Lord God we pray oh God for the crisis in our world today Lord God for the people in Israel Lord God and the Gaza Strip for all those missionaries, for all those pastors, all those families that are in harm's way. Oh God, we ask you, Lord God, to cover them. Oh God, that you will keep them, Lord God. We pray next to you, oh God, to touch our country, our leaders. Oh God, give us men and women that have a heart of God and a mind to serve you, Lord God. Give us direction in our country, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that you will keep us together. Unite us as one, Lord God. Help us to be ready. Help us, Lord God, to look to you. Father God, we come in the service in your hand tonight, Lord God. We ask that whatever we do tonight, in words or in deed, will be done to the glory and to the honor of your name. We come in the service in your hand. Oh God, touch those that are sick in their body tonight. Oh God, move among us like never before. Father God, we come in the service in your hand. Have your way, Lord God. We just want to say thanks in advance what you're about to do. As we continue to worship you, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And can we just give the Lord a round of applause tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Worship the Lord with us tonight.
clap our hands unto the Lord. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we adore you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We bless your name, Lord God. We magnify your name, Lord Jesus. There is none like you, O great God. We will bless your name. You are our God. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you brought us to this place for such a time as this. Anybody grateful for what God is doing in their life? Anybody thankful for what God is doing? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's good to see you tonight. Somebody turned and saw Mama Allen. <laughs> Mama Allen turned to somebody tonight. It's good to see Mama Allen in the house of the Lord. They had to get her up out of that place. <laughs> Mama Ellen took over. <laughs> they said it's time to send this woman home. Amen. She just told me, she told him every day, we're a pastor. She called me different kind of names. And one day she got mad when I didn't come. And they told her that she's not going to see me. And she said, they told her pastor's not going to come. She got mad. She said, well, whatever, because he's a man just like me. You remember you said that, Mama Allen? You probably don't remember you said it. She put her head down. <laughs> oh, man, we have a good time. Well, Mama Allen is in the house, and it's good to see her. Thank God. Thank God. It's good to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. I'm excited about what the Lord is uh, going to do this Sunday. Keep inviting people. If you don't sow the seeds, Sister Josephine, you can't expect any kind of harvest. So sow the seed, sow the seed, sow the seed. Some will shoot right up. Some will take a while to shoot up. But just sow the seed, sow the seed, sow the seed. It's the Lord that gives the increase, not us. And so when we want to see increase, it don't always work that way. It's when the Lord gives increase that you will see increase. So keep sowing the seed because God will give the increase. I was teaching um, a Bible study today, and um, I teach two Bible studies on Wednesdays. And um, I was teaching today, and every time I teach the lesson with Cain and Abel, when they both offered sacrifice unto the Lord, and God offered and God received one sacrifice, the Bible said God had respect unto one sacrifice, but unto the other He didn't. There is so many lessons to learn from that, and that's at the beginning of man, uh, where we're learning what transpired at the beginning and how God, how man and God related and how um, man approached God. And that passage of Scripture is so important to almost everything in us living for God. Um, I don't know if you had ever thought about it, but the Bible talks about Cain being a a, a tiller of the ground, we would call him a farmer. And then Abel was the keeper of the sheep. We would call him a shepherd. And they both brought what they thought was the best offering they could bring to God. One brought the livestock, 
Well, it made sense, right? He was over the flocks, right? The other brought what he called the best of the ground, which is the beautiful fruits and all the grains, the best of it, and he gave it. And so you would think, well, they both gave the best that they had. Well, understand this. God is not interested in the best we have. God is interested in what he says he wants. That's life, man. That's a Christian life. You can say whatever you want. And, and, and Cain decided that was supposed to be suffice, God, because I gave you my best. Look at what I brought to the table, Lord. I mean, I picked out the best of fruit. I gave the best of grain. I did what I thought was best. But it still came down to what he thought was best. And God does not accept what we think is best. God accepts what he demands and commands for us to give to him. And so that is a history lesson in itself just throughout Bible that we can continue to, to do what we think. Well, you know, I'm doing my best. Mm, that ain't enough. I hate to tell us, tell me, tell all of us, doing your best is not good enough for God. Doing what God says is what he's okay with. And when you're doing your best, God is going to tell you, whether by reading the scripture or hearing the preach word, God is going to say, I'm not accepting that. But I will accept what I ask you to give if you will turn from that and give me what I ask. And Cain just kept, you know, he became what the Bible says, a vagabond and just a wanderer because he insisted on what he gave was the best and he wasn't changing. Man, I can just stay in that lesson all day and never teach anything else because I think if we get that part right, that Cain got wrong because many of us are doing it Cain's way. Many of us are doing it Cain's way. We're telling the Lord and telling our friends, well, I'm doing the best that I can. And I hate to break the word to you. God is not accepting your best. God is accepting what he demands, not our best. And so I can come in here and tell me I'm giving my best. No, God is going to say, no, 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 I didn't ask you to give your best. I asked you to give me what I commanded. And that's where the rubber meets the road, as they like to say. And that's where we're going to have to make a decision. Do I get frustrated with God? Do I just get, you know, upset that I'm doing my best and God is not accepting it? Or do I just do what God says he wants? That's how we have a lot of religions. I was just telling them in the Bible, so I said, that's where we get a lot of religions. That's where we get a lot of beliefs. That's where we confuse people about the church because so many Christians have decided they're going to do their best. A lot of Christians have decided, I'm going to do my best. And it sounds good. It sounds fair. It sounds reasonable. But God is not asking us for our best. God is asking us for what he says. Here is one of the reasons why that's so significant. We are not all-knowing. If we're not all-knowing, then why are we deciding I'm going to give my best instead of giving what God says? There's a reason why he says give me a livestock. Give me a life. Offer this up to me. He knows why. He knows everything. So I was just telling him today too. I read the Bible just like you and see some things that I'm scratching my head like. Sometimes I get to the place where I said, God, is all this real? Are we really going to heaven and going to hell? Is this, is this world going to, is all this stuff going to really happen? Because sometimes I'm, I'm just not sure. Preachers say that. And then I say, 
you ain't been wrong yet. That's what reeled me back in. I can go off on a tangent and think about how I want to think because of all that's happening around me. And then I, then I recall, he ain't never been wrong yet. And when I look around and see all his handiwork, he ain't never been wrong yet. So I can let my mind fool me because maybe that day I'm stressed out. Maybe that day I'm just not seeing right. Maybe that day I'm tired or I'm hungry. Whatever it is. And so maybe that day I've concluded in my mind some foolishness that is contrary to God's stuff. And I start thinking crazy. But no matter how crazy things seem to us, his ways, not our ways. His thoughts, not our thoughts. So no matter how much, as a matter of fact, the crazier it seems, the more we should know. Yeah, that's God. Because it only seems crazy because I'm always relying and leaning on my intellect, which is so limited. My experience, which is so limited. But the almighty God, who is the creator of all things, he knows all things. I better stick with him no matter what it looks like. So I just gave you about five minutes of my Bible study today because that, that every time I teach that lesson in the Bible study, I always say, man, this is just this is where all of it lies of how we continue in righteousness or how we go sideways. Cain and Abel. If you want, go and read that Genesis chapter four. Just read that entire chapter because that will help us understand how we go wrong. And, and look at Cain. He kept going wrong. Cain never thought he was a murderer. I'm sure Abel didn't think his brother would murder him. But the first murder in the Bible was two brothers, a brother kill a brother. And guess what? God had told him, if you don't do right, sin is waiting for you to rule over you. He probably never thought it was sin to kill his brother. All he knows is, well, it can't be that bad. Again, leaning to our own understanding. Well, it can't. And before he knew it, he became a murderer, killing his own brother. All because God said, I didn't ask for that. I asked for livestock. That's what I asked for. I didn't ask for that. And he wouldn't listen because in his mind, I work hard as a farmer. And I gave you the very best. And you still want more than that, God? That's unreasonable. So I'm not changing. You can't outdo God and you can't beat God. You either join him or you're fighting a losing battle. So all I can tell us, me included, we either join with the Lord and obey him or we're fighting a losing battle. Won't end up in a good place. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know how that landed. I don't know what that did for you, but it always do something for me. And um, it always helped the Bible study student that I'm teaching for them to understand the significance to obeying God's word exactly and not in the way we want to. I've learned a long time ago, uh, me, you, many of us, whenever we do anything that we don't want to do, we never do a good job at it. We might do it because we just know I'm supposed to do it. But anytime we do something we don't want to do, we never do a good job at it. That's why it's best to just start loving what you loving living for God. So that everything that you do, you will enjoy doing it. Amen. I don't like to fast, but I like fasting. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't like to fast, but I like fasting. Because once you hit day three, man, you feel like Superman. King Kong. Because I just feel flesh is dead and it's all spirit then. And that feels good. But I don't like to go through the process of, man, no food. And, man, every seems like all your good stuff you like to eat is on the table and, 
man, and everything. I don't want to fast. But you got to fast. Yeah. And, and when you do, you'll say, ooh, this is good. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 5. Don't forget this Saturday, 1 p.m. Somebody say 1 p.m. We are um, celebrating the life of Brother Hasker's um, grandmother, Pearly. <laughs> I don't know why she looked familiar to me. I don't know if I've seen her before or we had conversation before, but she looked familiar. I don't know if it's because she had my grandmother's name, but her name is Pearly. And so we want you to come out if you can. 1 p.m. this Saturday would we'll be right here, our first funeral. I'm smiling because when I was putting in the double doors, probably some of y'all said, mm, I don't know why he's doing that. I, I don't know when y'all going to finally say, you know what? Our pastor know what he's doing. He's hearing from God in some kind of way. He's hearing from God some kind of way because, you know, I didn't think we can get in that place and we got in that place and the devil fighting us on, that, on this place. I'm like, I can't. I thought we moved past some things. Here we go going back. Not going to bother you with all the, the, the stuff with it. But, but, but I just knew we needed double doors, and now here we come. Funeral. And we need to open both those doors so we don't have any problems getting the casket in. Boom. Right here Saturday. So join us to celebrate a life and um, support the Haskers. Let them know that we love them. And so keep them in your prayer. So this Saturday, um, we'll um, celebrate the life of Pearly. And then uh, Sunday, we're back here for All Nations Sunday. And please, if you're going to bring something, that you're going to cook something, or if you want to buy something that you want to bring from another um, nationality, different culture, let's do it. And um, we'll celebrate Sunday after church. We'll eat good. You don't have to pay for it. Just, just hang out, and we'll eat and enjoy the fellowship and the blessings of the Lord. I see we got a big old thing in the middle of the sanctuary. Man, oh man, I don't know what that is. I guess that's the world. Okay, that's the world. Okay. It's, it's the world, I'm sorry. I called it a big old thing. The world is a big old thing though, right? So I'm not like totally off. It's <laughs> Praise ye the Lord. Listen, man, I appreciate all of y'all. I, I just love, I love, I, I love to watch when we come together and we all do what we can um, to advance the kingdom of God. Everybody know what they're supposed to do. It's a wonderful thing to watch the kingdom of God operate. So continue doing what you believe God called you to do. And amen. Brother Scarlett, no, I don't like that, but I'm not going to say much about it. I wish we'd have had that done and didn't have to have that over there. You know, hopefully next year we'll be planning real good so that won't be there on a Wednesday night. You know, I'm fussy about everything. I'm fussy about everything. Uh, I'm okay with the big old thing. I'm, I don't know if I'm okay with that over there. But we're going to let it slide because maybe we had a lot going on and, you know, we couldn't catch up. Sister Maddie, I'm, I'm telling you, Sister Maddie, you make sure next year, Lord's willing, you start whipping, the, cracking the whip and tell the people that normally help out to get this going, let, make sure they get this going about a month ahead. Don't let them wait till the week before. I know you got that. I don't know what the, what, what the rest of them got, but I know you'll crack the whip and make sure a month ahead. Yes, Sister Patrice, you snapping. What's going on back there? You, you've got something to say? If you, if you are bringing food, please enter from the side door on Sunday. All right. If you're bringing food, enter from the side door Sunday. Amen. Do we need to cover anything else? No? We're good? All right. Matthew chapter 5, verse, oh, let me say this one thing. Um, Tuesday nights, in case you do not know, 
Tuesday nights is our discipleship class nights. Start at 7.30 p.m. And it is very important that if you have never been a part of our discipleship classes, you want to take part on Tuesday nights, we want you to be a part of it. We want to teach as much as we can and help everyone we can to know the word of God, to apply the word of God. And so Tuesday night is discipleship night from 7.30 to no later than 8.15. If class go later than 8.15, let me know. <laughs> All right, let me move on. I'm meddling too much, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We've been teaching on the Beatitudes, and the past two weeks we have taught that blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is, there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Tonight we're going to talk about blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Father, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to come together one more time. Thank you for just always being present in our midst and for giving us every opportunity to learn of you, to grow in the power of your might and in the authority of your word. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you will just allow me, put me, Lord God, behind the cross because I'm not able or capable without the spirit of God working in me, without the word of God that I speak, Lord, without those things, I cannot do what's needed here. I ask that you will help me tonight, Lord God, to rightly divide the word of truth and that you will touch the hearts of your people, that every one of us will receive the engrafted word, that we will learn it, understand it, and apply it in our life. Help us to grow from tonight's Bible study. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. amen. You may be seated. In the presence of the Lord, blessed are the meek, happy are the meek, right? We said blessed means happy. It's always been a curiosity to many as to why Jesus Christ wasn't accepted by the Jews of those days. We know that even still today, there are Jews that did not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, God Almighty, manifest in flesh. And we know that a lot of them did not accept it back then and still haven't today. But it's been speculated by many that one of the main reasons why Jesus was not accepted by the Jews in those days was because he was not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. Typical us. If we're not getting what we like, we tune out. 
It's even in learning. If we think that the message is not comparable to what we should be learning, we tune out. We secretly start checking our phones and we start looking stuff to do. We start doodling and we start finding ourselves doing other things because eh, that message is not really for me tonight. And so we, we check out when we don't think that what we're hearing is what we're looking for. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene, the Jews didn't feel like that's what they envisioned when they thought about the Messiah. And so they kind of overlooked him. They were looking for a conquering king, a military Messiah to overthrow Rome's rulership. But Jesus came to deliver mankind from the bondage of sin, not to overthrow the Roman Empire. His message was, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, which translated this way, happy are the meek. Jesus himself says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. So Jesus told us he was meek. Jesus Christ walked among us and demonstrated a life of meekness. A meek person is unpretentious, self-controlled, and free from malice, and vengeance. Let me say that again because we're going somewhere because I must tell you this. So far, the two B attitudes that we studied, this one got me. This one, I say, I, I, I felt like blessed are the poor in spirit. I felt like, okay, I, I think I understand that. and I think I kind of uh, understand and, and conduct myself in that way that Without Jesus, I am nothing. I need him. And so, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. I feel like I've embraced that. And, and I feel like when it says, blessed are they that mourn, I feel like I've embraced that because I know when I sin, I mourn. I know when I see sin, I mourn for sin. So, I felt like those two beatitudes, okay, I, I'm dealing with those. I'm doing all right with those. But when I read this one, blessed are the meek, I said, I got some work to do. <laughs> So let me say it again. A meek person is unpretentious, self-controlled, and free from malice and vengefulness. A meek person acknowledges his or her spiritual bankruptcy and mourn because of sin, but respond meekly when other people regard them as sinful. So when somebody tell you, oh, you're not all that, as a matter of fact, you claim to be a Christian, and I don't think you know Christian because Christians don't act like that. When somebody tells you that, how do you respond to that? Blessed are the meek. Mm-hmm. A meek person, meekness, then is the natural and appropriate expression of genuine humility towards others. So if we say we're meek, we should always demonstrate genuine humility among people if we're meek. In the days Jesus walked the earth, Jews didn't believe he demonstrated enough strength 
or might. That's why they was like, he ain't our Messiah. He ain't tough. He ain't showing no strength. Our Messiah is supposed to be strong. Our Messiah is supposed to show might. In their mind, might makes right. In their minds, meek makes weak. So Jesus' audience looked past him and toward another because they believed the cliche that says meekness is weakness. Jesus said, happy are the meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's actually power under control. So when you're in a power position and you are in control, you are meek. But when you're in a power position and you're not in control, you're not meek. Mm -hmm. Watch this. There is another word for meek. And that word is prius or prius. It was a term used by doctors for soothing medicine they gave their fevered patients to help quiet them and help them to sleep. This word, prius, is translated meek, was used by the Greeks to describe a horse that had been broken. It refers to power under control. So if you know anything, we like to say, my car has this much horsepower. My truck has this much horsepower. So when you see a horse, you think power. And so in order to take away some of that power, they had to administer certain kind of medicine to that horse to take away some of that strength and some of that power. Think about it like this. Medicine has power to heal. But taken in the wrong dosage, medicine that heals can kill. In the right dosage, medicine is meekness, power under control. The meek are blessed. When we have the power to hurt or harm, but we harness that power to heal and to help, we are meek which makes us blessed. Just because we have the power and the right to demand our rights doesn't mean it's always right to demand our rights. That's a big one. We like to fight when we feel like I have a right. And we won't let it go when we feel like I have a right. Well, when we begin to operate from that perspective, we are no longer meek. One of the things I've always remembered in the Word of God, I've, remember, I've memorized a lot of things in the Word of God, but one of the things I, 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 quite, I always remember is this, that vengeance belonged to the Lord. God said he will fight my battle. I, I will never forget those two scriptures, that vengeance belonged to the Lord, and God said he will fight my battle. And I've always felt strongly about those things because I've always watched God fought my battle. I don't know if you have had situations like that in your life, but I've had situations in my life where I've come under attack and I didn't budge, I didn't say anything, and God fought my battle for me. So because I've had experience with those things, whenever I'm up against trying to make my point and prove I'm right, I'm not hasty. Hasted 
to, to go and say, well, I got to show them. I don't have to show nobody nothing. Plus, we need to get over the thinking that if you don't speak up, they're going to think that you're at fault. I talk to a lot of people. I've got some people that I talk to, and, and, and you know, I get concerned when we have to prove to people we weren't wrong. Not meekness. When you feel like you have to prove that you were on the right side, you're not being meek. Mm-hmm. I don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove to anybody that you're right. You don't have to fight for your right. You have to do that when you don't have Christ in your life. Because if, when you don't have Christ, you're on your own. So you got to do for you. You got to, as they like to say, fend for yourself. But that's when you don't have Christ. You have Christ in your life. You don't have to fend for yourself. He will take care of you. He will fight your battle. And if he wants to wage vengeance against whoever for you, let him do it. Remember, this is good. We reap what we sow. So if you take vengeance on somebody, what's going to happen to you? So I'd rather, God just knows church. He knows what he's doing. Can we just allow him to do his job and get out of his way and say, Lord, that's your business. You already said it in your word how we need to handle this. And I'm just, just going to get out your way. The more I live for God, the more I realize I just need to get out of his way. I was just talking to Brother Sister last week. I said, man, you know, for us to end up in, 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 in places that we didn't think we could afford or to accomplish things in God that we never accomplished, most of us that have gotten there, we all know we just got out of God's way. If you have accomplished anything significant in God, and as I use that term loosely, if you have accomplished, I use it loosely, but you know what I mean. If we have accomplished anything great in God, believe me, your testimony will be, I got out of God's way. Because that's the only way anything great will come out of our life in God. We have to get out of his way and let him do what he says he will do. The more we meddle, the more we get into God's way, the less we will see greatness. All right. Just because we have power and the right to demand our rights doesn't mean it's always right to demand our rights. Now, I'm not telling you not to stand on truth. And so if somebody says A is true and you, and you know B is true, you just, listen, this is the word of God and, and, and it's true. And so I stand on that. I'm not going to argue about it, but I'm not moving off of this because this is truth. That SUV saw you put your turn signal on to turn into that parking space that was right up front. Mm-hmm. But the driver zoomed into your space before you could turn into it. You are right that they are wrong to do that. But it's not right for you to yell and to scream and to start cussing or even to part behind them and say, you ain't getting out of this spot today. Oh, people do that. You might not have done that. But there's some people, you cut, you cut them off and, and park in the spot that they were trying to get into. They said, I'll fix you. And they just park right there. And if the two cars beside you never move, oh, you you stuck. So whoever comes out first is, mm-hmm, you know, I go. We know Jesus was a meek man when he walked the earth. 
if you study Moses after his burning bush experience, you will see he was a meek man. But I want to talk to you about another meek person we read about in scripture. Every baby brother usually gets pushed around by the older brothers. But Joseph brothers attempted to murder him and eventually trafficked him. We talking about, you know, people trafficking kids. Joseph got trafficked. All right, think about that. They sold that dude. Brothers, I just told you about a brother that killed his brother. Now I'm telling you about a brother that was sold. I love how the Bible keep it real. God really is really God, and he's, he's showing us these things because it's all about us, how we are as people. He's not withholding anything. When you read this sacred book, you get into it and you realize, man, God is showing us everything. There is nothing that happens in our world that we can't get into this book and look through and see. There's a situation like mine. This is a situation that we read about in the Bible. And so Joseph brothers, they trafficked that brother. Your own blood. My goodness. And so, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. They lied about him to their father and forgot about him after they sold him. Now, maybe in their the, the deep deepness of their heart, they, they were guilty and thought about their brother. But, of course, there were no discussion of their brother the whole time. After many years of struggles, suffering, pain, and being lied on and thrown in jail, God made a way for Joseph from jail into Pharaoh's kingdom. When we worry about the situation that we're in, we need to go read about Joseph. When you worry about how bad things are in your life, you need to go read about Joseph because it doesn't get any worse than what Joseph had experienced, especially when he's coming from where he's coming from. He's coming from a place of, you know, being taken care of, being favored. He didn't have any need. He was always taken care of. He was his father's favorite boy, and they weren't wanting for anything. They were fine, and he went from that place to being in slavery. He went from that place to being thrown in jail. Man, if we ever find ourselves in a bad predicament, we need to go read Joseph so we can get encouraged. We do. God exalted Joseph to vice president and secretary of the agriculture in Egypt. (laughs) One day famine struck the land where Joseph's family were living, including his brothers, they were all living together, father, brother, you know, all of them were living there. And, and there were hunger in the land, famine in the land. And so now, here they go. Those brothers that trafficked Joseph, they hungry, famine. So Joseph's father sent, as some of you know the story, Joseph's father sent his sons to Egypt where they heard there was food. As they came to Egypt seeking food for their family, they came before Joseph, who was responsible for the distribution of food, but the brothers didn't know it was Joseph, but Joseph knew it was them. Remember, they trafficked the brother. Well, first they tried to kill the brother. He was just glad to be trafficked. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine being glad to be trafficked because you knew the other option was they were going to kill you? At least when you got trafficked, you knew you would be alive. You're just going to be a slave to somebody, but at least you know you still have your life. And so here they come for food. They need food. They're hungry. Dad told them, all right, get some food. And they went to the man that was responsible for food. The man that was responsible for food was the guy they trafficked, was the guy they tried to murder. And so now here he is. He recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. They just knew this is the man who will determine whether we ate or we starved. So all of a sudden, man, we got to show this guy much respect. I don't even want to go down that road because, you know, we show people so much more respect than we show God. And we don't even realize that God works for us and he, he is on our side and he's the one that's pulling the strings behind the scenes. But somehow we show more respect to people. Once we know people can help us, once we know people can do for us, all of a sudden now, you know, we all humble. <laughs> Joseph had the power, and some would argue, the right to get revenge on his brothers. But he didn't. we talking about meekness. Joseph could have locked up his brothers for getting him locked up but rather than to use his power and right to get revenge Joseph was meek that's the meat of meekness is you being in a power position an authoritative position a position where you have the right a position where you are stronger and you still operate under control. You don't mistreat anybody. You don't take advantage of anybody. You don't make it work for your good. I was, Bible study today again. <laughs> I was talking to a brother way back in the day in the church. And I was telling him, I forgot what we were talking about. I think we got into some, uh, something about, church and I told him about something and the brother said everybody that do anything they only do it because they're getting something out of it that made me kind of mad now I didn't think like that I still don't think like that but when I thought about what he said I realized for the most part, he's right. See, that brother deal with people that was in the corporate field. He dealt with people that was always, you know, breaking a deal. And when you broker deals, it's always about what do I get out of it? And so that brother was like, yeah, nobody really does anything just to do it. They're all doing it for something. And unfortunately, even Christians are living as Christians because they want something. But that's not what God's will is for us, that we're serving him for something. 
Remember, God didn't need us when he created us. So if we're going to be like him, we need to take on that part too. What we're doing, what are we doing it for? Because we want something out of the deal or we're doing it because that's who we are as children of God. And so this brother said, everybody, nobody does anything. I said, no, that's not true. I said, a real Christian does what they do because that's who they are as a Christian and they love God. So they're just doing it because that's who they are. The brother said, I hear you, but I'm telling you. Well, the brother is struggling in his relationship with God today because if you keep that mindset... When you are serving God and you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it, you will slow up or eventually walk away. That's what I learned. See, my mind is always thinking about the things of God. And so when the brother said that, I started pondering that because that bothered me a little bit. And I had to search my own heart about that. And so the bottom line is I started thinking more about it. And I said, that kind of thinking is not going to allow many of us to keep living for God. Because the soon, as soon as God doesn't reward us with anything, we're going to walk away. Because our mindset is, if I'm not getting something out of the deal, then I'm not doing this. And so most people come to church and they come because I got to get saved because I don't want to go to hell. Okay, you weren't saved when you made that decision in your mind because you didn't know any better. But when you come up out of that water and God fill you with his spirit and you start obeying that word, you got to realize we don't do things for things. We do it because it's who we are as children of God. We're not of the world. We're children of God. We don't do things to say things for things. Only people in the world do things for things. Now, I'm not talking about if you own a business and you give service for fighting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you as a person, as a child of God. What are you doing to, to say, I got to get something back? Dude, everything you do, you got to get something back. If we can change that mindset, because I believe, hear me, I believe there's some of us here tonight that, that, that thought like that. And maybe you didn't put a lot of thinking into that's kind of how you are. But now God has brought it to your attention to say, that's how you've been living. You've been living for me, always expecting something back. And when you don't get something back, you slow up on your attendance. You slow up on your giving. You slow up on your faithfulness. You slow up on a lot of things when you don't feel like you're getting anything back. Because the mindset has always been, what do I get out of the deal? That's not how we live for God. And we shouldn't live for God. I learned as I'm walking with the Lord. I learned heaven is a byproduct of my relationship with God. I've said it before, and for those of you who have never heard it, I'll say it again. If you're living for God to get to heaven, you might miss heaven. Listen to me. If you're living for God, living for God to get to heaven, if that's your sole purpose, if that's your number one, I hear it all the time and I don't try to criticize where people say, I, I got to get to heaven. I'm living for God because I've got to get to heaven. I hear you. But if that's your driving force, you're going to get jammed up at some point in time. Your driving force should be, I love God and I want to I wanna fulfill my purpose for why I was born. 
I love God and I want to fulfill the purpose for why I was born, why God brought me into this world. That's what I want to know. That's the purpose that I want to fulfill. And I love him. That's what I should always be thinking about. All the other stuff doesn't matter. It'll just come right along with just you loving God, knowing God, and walking in your purpose. Everything else will come right along. Blessings will come. Heaven will come. Everything else comes with me and you loving God and living out our purpose in God. Everything else follows. But if we say, I just want to go to heaven, your life becomes a life of do's and don'ts. Oh, I I shouldn't do that because that ain't right. Oh, oh, I need to do that. And that's no way to live. That's still like bondage. It's still like bondage. And some of us are not free in God because we're living our life as a Christian according to do's and don'ts. As opposed to, I love God. Brother Tinney said this long time ago. And I haven't forgotten it. Brother Tinney has passed on long time now. Well, a little bit of time now. And I've never forgotten this. He always say, where there is no love, there will be a whole lot of rules. Where there is love, there are no rules. Love is the highest law. Not law that you follow, but nothing that you will ever do according to following rules will be greater than love. Because love has no boundaries. Laws, they, 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 they have boundaries. They're set up a certain way for you to follow this, follow that. And if we're going to be real, true Christians, we have to live a life of love and not a life of laws. The Old Testament, we didn't never lived in. So we don't need to bring it in the New Testament. We need to live a life of love, not a life of laws, do's and don'ts. We're in bondage when we're living for God off of do's and don'ts. What I do for God, I do it out of love, not because I want to get to heaven. What I do for God, I do it out of love, not because I'm afraid to go to hell. What I do for God, I do it out of love and who he called me to be. That's why I do it, not because I'm afraid, not because I'm trying to gain something from God. We have to see it that way if we plan to be who God called us to be. Heavy pill to swallow, but I'm giving you truth because, as I said, God didn't need us, but he created us. Remember now, he existed long before he always existed. Let me just say it that way. There was never a time where God didn't exist, but I don't know. He decided he was going to create us, and we like to say he created us for relationship. Okay, I can go with that for a little bit, but, but just understand this. He didn't have us around the whole time he existed. So why all of a sudden, you know what? After trillions and trillions and trillions of years, I'm just saying, he decided, you know what? Let me finally just create some humans so I can have some fellowship. You think he needed us? No, he didn't need us. He didn't need us. But I taught in the lesson um, that the reason why God created us more than fellowship is for him to, to add value to his life. That's heavy stuff. And that's, that, that's beyond a normal thing. You're not going to hear this too many places because this is Clifford Readout teaching, but it's from the book. That God created us to, to, to show value of who he is. Because God being here 
by himself in this world with nothing existing, what value does he have? Now, that's hard for many of us to embrace because we always want to feel like it's about us. And so we like to say, well, God created us for fellowship. That might have came later down the road, but that wasn't the first reason why we were created. We were created because God had to make himself have value. Without creating us, he had no value. God everything, and there's nothing else. What value does he have? Who knows him? What, what, nothing. But once he created us, he established value of who he was. That's not this lesson. I'll teach that lesson when you want me to teach that lesson. I normally teach that lesson at the beginning of every year. I teach you that lesson about the Lord, uh, just everything about him and how amazing he is. But we're here first because God had to, had to show some value of who he is. As, as great and powerful and amazing as God is, if we weren't here, there would be nothing or no one or anything to represent his value. All right, I'll move on. Joseph even had the right to execute revenge and even execute Potiphar's wife for her false allegations against him. But he didn't. I thought about that this evening when I was reading that. I said, you know, we didn't read anything else about Potiphar's wife after she lied on Joseph that he tried to rape her. We didn't read anything else about her. And when he went into power, he had every right because now he was over Potiphar. Potiphar was over him when he was a servant in Potiphar's house. And then the wife lied on him. And when she lied on him, he got thrown in jail. But it was all the plan of God. Because that's where he met the baker and the butler. That's where he interpreted their dreams. And that's when Pharaoh got the dream that he couldn't interpret and he couldn't find anybody to interpret his dream. And finally, the baker, no, the butler, the butler, so it's the butler, the wine one, the butler. Finally, the butler said, I, I met a guy. And these guys, again, here we go. They promised my man Joseph that when they get up to Pharaoh's quarter, they would tell Pharaoh about They never said one word. Well, the one, he died. But the one that got up there never said anything to Pharaoh about uh, Joseph. And finally, God says, I don't need y'all. He caused a dream to come to Pharaoh that Pharaoh was just, oh, man, he was haunted. He was just Haunted by this dream. And finally, the, the, that's what the butler said. Oh, oh, my bad. Hey, this dude that was down in the prison named Joseph, he know how to interpret dreams. Well, get him up here. <laughs> and, and you know what's so good about that? For all of us that think um, attire don't matter. And I love the word of God. <laughs> you can't wheeze out of it. For all of us that thought... Attire don't matter. When they got Joseph out of the dungeon, they didn't bring him to Pharaoh like that. Pharaoh. They had to clean that boy up, wash him down real good, and put on some nice cotton or silk or whatever they had to put on him. He had to look good, smell good to go in front of Pharaoh. So we keep on fighting this thing about God don't care how I look. Oh, God cares how you look. He gives us these examples. Again, we can do what we think or we can do what God says. 
Just saying. And so they brought him up, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh made him really the, 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 the first in command, because Pharaoh said, the only thing that will be higher than your uh, 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 word in this, in, in, this, in, in, in this kingdom would be when I have this ring on or when I sit in this throne. Other than that, you run the show. So he could have went back for Potiphar's wife and said, you little woman, you that lied on me and got me thrown in jail. But Joseph was smart enough to look and read the tea leaves and realize this was all God's plan. He looked at the tea leaves. He was smart enough to look and say, I'm not going to cry about this. I'm not going to be upset and whine about this because the bottom line is it was God's plan. Look, we read it all the time. Genesis 50 verse 20. But as for you... Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people's life. Listen, oh man, I'm ready to quit, but this is so good. Listen, he said to save much people's lives. Everything that God is doing is to save us. That's what everything he's doing. So while every, nobody was going to know how to gather the food and store it and how to distribute the food so the people wouldn't die of starvation, nobody knew how to do it except for the man that God had given that vision to. Nobody. So if they didn't get Joseph up to the high seat, they all would have just died of starvation. Maybe a couple would be, be saved, but they all would have died. But God had a man. And God allowed his man to get in the seat. And his man was there to save not just uh, a couple people, but to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years after that. So Joseph could have took vengeance on everybody, all his brothers, Potiphar's wife. He could have went crazy because of how he was mistreated. But instead, of Joseph was a man of God, and he realized that that was God's plan. I can't be mad of how I was treated and all of what I went through. No, I went through all of that just to this past Sunday. Brother Calvin came to me and said something to me. And it's something that God had dropped in my spirit some years ago, but I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody about it, couldn't share it with anybody, but I kept it to myself, um, felt a little bit like Joseph, no comparison because Joseph is a righteous, righteous man. I'm just trying to get there, but, but Brother Calvin said to me, and I, I, Brother Calvin, I didn't mean to put you on the spot or put me out there, but I'm just that transparent. I talk about stuff that is meaningful, and after we came back from the wedding Saturday and we came back to church Sunday, Brother Calvin said, I just want to tell you this. I can see it. God used Pastor Naylor to get us all together, and he's using you to keep us together. God had shown me that already, Calvin. He had shown me that. He told me, you got to go because I need to preserve my people. He told me that. I couldn't tell nobody that because they're going to think, who do you think you are, bro? 
and then everything was already, you know, nothing was wrong at the time. So why am I going to tell? They would have, Who do you think you are? So I kept it to myself till you said it Sunday. I said, thank you, Jesus. Because when, you're, when God sends you to go forward and to do something that is very uncomfortable and everybody don't know what you're doing and everybody's wondering, what's up with you? You know, and all different kind of thoughts. And you can't say nothing. Because it doesn't matter what you say. Nobody's trying to hear it. All they know is you broke up just whatever we were constantly comfortable with. And what are you doing? Because it's always about us. But God says, no. You go on and do what I tell you to do. You go on and do what I tell you to do. God sent Joseph on. He had to go through what he had to go through. And believe me, no matter who we are, no matter who God uses, we're going to have to go through some stuff. You don't get used by God and just don't go through nothing. If you're going to get used by God, you're going to go through some stuff. I know many of us would rather just live a comfortable life and not worry about anything. God bless you. It's up to you. I don't know if you're obeying or disobeying God, but I just know and understand that I had to go through some uncomfortable things. I know that there was times where I just thought, this is it, man. I'm just going to just be some guy that's just living for God. And I'm going to do my best to keep living for God because I know God is real and I want to serve God. I was just going to be a guy. I was okay with just being a guy that's just living for God. But God wouldn't leave me alone. He wouldn't allow me to just go off on my own and just to be a guy. He wouldn't do it. I'm still just a guy, but you know what I mean. Galatians 5 and 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. 23 says, meekness. Meekness is one of the fruit of the spirit. How do we know we're meek? Finishing here. Here is how. How do you respond when you are angry? When you are angry, how do you respond? That will tell you if you're meek. Do you demand your own way? How do you act when you have the right to exact revenge? Do you seek revenge or forgive the offense? How do we respond to the word of God when it convicts our heart? Do we justify our sins or do we repent of our sins? How do we receive criticism? Do we receive it well And love the people who criticize us? Or do we, listen to this one, do we give other people instructions in meekness or out of arrogance? Meekness is not automatic. Meekness only comes after we realize we are poor in spirit and we mourn over our sin and the sin of others. In Psalms 37, verse number one, it says this. This is the scripture that help us to understand what we should do to be meek, what meekness look like. Watch Psalms 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. You want to know what meekness looked like? Go read that in Psalms 37, 1 through 8. Our Father, the Almighty God, His name is Jesus, owns everything. So we need, we, we need neither to fear nor fret. If God owns everything, why are we worried? Why are we fretting? Why are we concerned about what's going on? Whatever we need, the Lord owns. And whatever we need, he provides. The blessing is not to the mighty, but the blessing is to the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In this beatitude, Jesus was saying, more than the meek will enter the kingdom. They will also enter into, they will also enter in as an inheritance and possess the earth. Eventually the kingdom of the Messiah will move to the new earth. This means Jesus' meek disciples can anticipate receiving possession of the earth during, during his messianic reign. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have given you examples of what meekness should be and we've also given you questions that you should ask yourself can you demonstrate have you been demonstrating meekness let's stand blessed or happy are the meek not happy are the arrogant not happy are the people that have their right and exercise it but happy are the meek that have their right, and they don't use it. What the old timers used to say? This is how they said it in my country. Sometimes you have to have your right and give it up. You don't always have to battle for your right. If God is your God, you don't have to battle for your right. Just serve him and trust him. And you will see he will always bring everything you need to you. Let's lift our hand just for one moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the lesson on meekness. For you said, happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Lord, you have instructed us what it's like to be meek. You have given us a man, oh God, Joseph, that exemplified meekness. You, almighty God, our perfect, perfect, perfect Savior, came to this earth and modeled what meekness is. You are the model that we seek to mimic, Lord. And Lord, you have demonstrated meekness by being a servant, humbling yourself to be a servant. And oh God, help us to humble ourselves and to be meek. Lord, the winds are blowing. The seas are roaring. 
The devil is busy. But Lord, you said we must remain meek. For Lord, meekness is power under control. And so we yield ourselves to you. And we want the fruit of the Spirit to manifest in our life. Lord, it's not left to us all by our lonesome to be meek, but you have given us your Spirit to help us to be meek, to help us to walk in meekness. Ah. Oh, God, help us tonight that we will allow this message to affect our hearts, that we will allow your Word to take root in our heart and to grow and to produce the fruit that you said it ought to produce. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We bless your name, almighty God, for there is none like you. You're worthy of all the praises. You're worthy of all the honor, Lord. And, oh God, we're so thankful. We're so grateful to you and for all you have done. Oh God, you've been better to us than we are to ourselves than we can ever be to ourselves. You're always instructing us. You know all things and you know what we need to do, Lord. Help us to see what you're showing us and to do what you're telling us to do. Help us to walk in meekness. Help us to walk in meekness. I want to be meek, Lord. I want to be meek. I want to be like you. I want to be like Joseph and Moses. I want to live a life of meekness, Lord. Will you help us tonight for all the people of God? that have called upon you tonight, Lord, to say they want to be meek. Will you help them to be meek, Lord God, that we will inherit the earth? For the kingdom is ours if we will be meek. Lord, we bless your name. We praise your name. We honor you. We thank you for this opportunity once again. As we go from this place, keep your hands upon us and help us to practice meekness. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.